0: Everyone, In this episode of History Unloaded with Danny and Ashley, we are finally getting back to Dan's Conspiracy Corner, only it's not actually Dan's Conspiracy Corner. This is the episode we were supposed to do when Danny just talked randomly about Mausers. So, Danny, what is your scholarship about?
1: Well, Ashley, thank you for that lovely introduction. My scholarship is about... And actually, we've done something since we recorded that episode. But my scholarship is about the Winchester Alphabet series of rifles. So nobody knows about them because they never made it out of the factory. So nobody could collect them. So then they don't exist. Um, And I jumped into it because I like that.
0: Okay, so I have a question. If these guns were actually produced and produced in like the 90s, would it have been featured on Sesame Street?
1: I mean I wish but almost certainly not I mean I don't know the 90s like a lot more things were okay on television in the 90s I feel like
0: is Edwin Pugsley the alphabet version of the count
1: (laughs) that's a really good question could we match up Winchester engineers to Sesame Street characters
0: No, I think that's a different episode
1: (laughs) that's definitely a different episode but anyways
0: I so rudely interrupted you
1: well, I mean, I, I was interested in what, at least as a teaser for that episode, which Sesame Street character Edwin Pugsley would be. And it's probably the count, I would think.
0: Yeah, because he was like, if you believe the rumors, he was uh, Pugsley Adams. And so therefore, the count's kind of creepy and Pugsley Adams is creepy. So here to four,
1: <laughs> We declare it.
0: <laughs> it is fact- <bad.
1: laughs> Anyway, what was the original question?
0: (laughs) So what's funny about this is like, I can't tell you guys how many times I have tried to get Danny to talk about this subject. And I feel like it always gets derailed every single time. So Danny, please tell us about the alphabet rifles.
1: Well, I'd I'd love to, Ashley. I'd love to actually address this topic and not dodge it once more. So the alphabet rifles is not actually a name that anyone has used except for me. I don't think anybody's called them that. I don't think. I think I'm safe to say that. Trademark. Trademark. Danny Michael. Um and the reason they're called that that I invented this term, I'm just going to go all in. That I invented this term for them is because they're listed as the model a b c d e f and g. And thanks to watching Sesame Street, I could say those in order correctly.
0: If you say oh. them backwards though, you also pass a field sobriety test. <laughs>
1: I'm not sure I can do that, though. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, these, this series of rifles uh, was a Winchester series of prototypes by a guy named T.C. Johnson, who is sneakily like one of the he doesn't get a ton of credit unless you're really, really into Winchester as a company, but he's a really interesting guy. And he had a ton to do with Winchester's firearms designs from the post John Moses Browning era. Into like the 1930s um, and really the pre World War II era. So TC Johnson had a hand in a ton of stuff. Um, he probably worked some on the self loader series. He worked on the failed Widowmaker 1911. He worked on a bunch of other projects that were more successful. Um, so he was all over the company in that time frame. And one of the things the company thought about doing. Uh, was getting into bolt actions. Uh, They didn't go full in right away, but they had been losing a lot of big game rifle sales, which they wanted to use for their 95 to places like Mauser that had introduced high powered um, bolt action rifles. And so enter TC Johnson trying to do that.
0: TC Johnson extraordinaire.
1: And his name's actually Thomas Crossley. I don't know if I said that part, but everybody virtually every time he's talked about, everybody just says TC, like he's, a cool guy
0: That cool that cool, well, cool oh that's not. not good <laughs> i don't even know if you deserve what i said but it was not great
1: <laughs> i did not hear it so i'm just going to keep moving
0: we'll just keep moving on and you can listen back because i know you listen to this podcast
1: i definitely do maybe that's how we can get our numbers up if you and i just like put this on loop on all of our different devices
0: it has to be on all the different devices. Though. I yeah. feel like it's like it's like when I watch my own Instagram reels 50 million times, but I don't have 50 million views. Yeah, it's real problematic. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Future episode, Danny and Ashley's trying <laughs> AstroTurf their own social media.
0: <laughs> so, okay. So, TZ Johnson, he's cool. They bring him in to do this. And now are the ABC guns, What what time frame are we looking at?
1: The, the alphabet guns, please.
0: What did I say?
1: The ABC guns, which is actually a cooler name.
0: <laughs> this is why we work really well together.
1: <laughs> I should have ran any of my research by you. Um, uh, well, but to
0: be fair, you did.
1: Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, you did read it, didn't you? I forgot about it. A long
0: that. time ago, yeah.
1: Um, I've already forgotten the question.
0: <laughs> oh, man. um. <laughs> What's the time frame on Oh, time frame, right, right, right,
1: right. Uh, So the time frame is like pre-World War I when Winchester is thinking about Mauser selling all these big game rifles for overseas use. We're losing a market share. The 86s and the 76s aren't really, they're not really that selling that well anymore. The 85s, everything seems kind of outdated. Do we get into different action types or do we still try and make our name on lever actions like they had done in the past when... Uh, Browning had it, you know, suggested doing non lever action guns, and Winchester was like really firm on. They threw you know, a
0: temper tantrum.
1: Yeah, it's like no, we're doing lever actions because that's who we are. And so this is like 1912, 1913 when it seems that Johnson starts to think about, um, like a bolt action design. He had actually messed around with it in his really early years in the company in like 1890s. We have a bolt in the collection. It's like it's for a bolt action rifle that doesn't exist. Um, and Herb always attributed that bolt.
0: Herb House, the yes. former curator of the Cody Farms Museum. I,
1: I was saying that to Ashley because she knows who he is, but none of you people. Listen <laughs> yeah,
0: you, you guys don't even know that information. <laughs> you guys
1: that's... have no idea. Well, we've talked about Herb before. On the
0: <laughs> I know, but that's assuming people listen to more than one.
1: <laughs> that can stand us for more than an episode. Um, so Herb always associated that bolt with T.C. Johnson. I think it matches like a drawing that has his name on it or something. But so he was what he did some kind of work on a bolt action in like early 1890s, and then dropped it and went to work on other stuff for the company. Um, he, well, well, go ahead.
0: <laughs> well, I think it's it's interesting because what you said at initially, which is what caused me to ask the time frame, was because you were like, you know, Winchester decided to get interested in bolt guns that they hadn't considered before, and as we know, the Winchester Model 70 is like. One of their most iconic guns. So if you're someone who's just listening and you know doesn't, you know, really know the the time track of it, it kind of sounded silly that you were like, and Winchester and Bolt guns. What a crazy idea.
1: That's impossible. They would never ever, still not ever do it, do such a no. thing.
0: That would be so dumb. <laughs>
1: <laughs> they wouldn't invent the most well known American bolt action rifle of all time. They they would never do that. And it's not fair that they had, I mean, they had done the Hotchkiss. So like, because I know somebody's listening and being like, what about the Opticus or the Lee Navy? And they did do those things, but they were never a big focus for the company. Mm-hmm. And the commercial sales on both were kind of poor, um, even though they're they're interesting stories in their own right. So Johnson works on one, he drops that. Then he invents the 1903, primarily is his work, the Winchester 1903, which stands as one of the first commercially available semi-autos. Um, and so by World War One, like I said, Winchester was thinking about this, and there's records that Johnson bought um, commercial Mauser sporting rifles. Um, and Winchester by that point too, their salesmen had run into Mauser's overseas and had sent back a number of samples. So they had like early Mausers like the, like the model 71s. they had uh, some 98 patterns, they had some, of the 91, 93, 95 guns from different places. So Winchester had like some Mausers in their reference collection. And this is still when they were very actively using it as a reference collection. Uh, There's a couple notes in that collection that Johnson went and bought um, specifically some sporting Mausers to differentiate between the, from the military ones, the company had gotten their hands on. I think he bought one in like 404 Jeffrey, um, which isn't really a cartridge people know today, but, was back then it was like it was gaining. jeffrey cartridges were gaining popularity for big game um, and so then he starts design work on what becomes the model a and the model a if you ever see it in the museum on display it looks like the love child of a 1903 springfield and a like a model 1917 and somebody made it a takedown rifle um it's the only way i can describe it to the like the no like the front barrel bands and the barrel and the stock all look sort of 1903 ish the bolt and those parts look more like a 1917 maybe in a little bit you could start to see a model 70 that's probably a little bit of a stretch um but he works on that in like 1314 and he's starting to work on the model b and then as othias and c and arsenal say war were declared and world war two, right? Or world war two, world war one, <laughs> <breaks> like,
0: out. <laughs> I was literally like, wait, what?
1: World War II, well known for starting in 1914, obviously.
0: <laughs> war were
1: war. declared. And I can't say world war, like it's I can't
0: you can do it the British way, the first world war.
1: Oh, yeah. The the first world war, the great the second
0: war. world war. That's how they say because every time I write it and somebody who's British edits it, they move it around and I'm like, hey. I don't
1: think I ever noticed that. I just thought some people wanted to sound a little snootier. So they said the second world war.
0: When Nick was editing my article for RMAX, he took all of my things that said post-World War II and said, I don't even remember, something about the second world war, but it was, you know, post the second world war or something like that. And I was just like, Hey, I'm an American. We say it different. So that's the first time I really noticed it. And then I noticed it with a couple of other people and I'm like, wow. We say things weird. Anyways, well, let's get off the subject of how the British do things. Because the way that the Americans do things is that we come in late at the end of the war and win it.
1: Yeah, obviously.
0: <laughs> what?
1: I said, yeah, obviously.
0: <laughs> I said Dur. Um, Okay, so I have a question about the Model C. Yes. Does it get degrees?
1: <laughs> C's do get degrees, and we have it. Um, actually, I don't even think any of these have patents. I don't think they do. Um,
0: Is that your definition of a degree in this circumstance? Yeah, in
1: in gun terminology, I think the degree is, does it get a patent for being the first? Um, So Johnson had worked on the B and the A. Winchester gets involved in the Allied War effort, and they start making pattern 14 rifles for the British. And basically Johnson is on that project pretty much full time and the the sort of halts development on these, what were supposed to be sporting rifles. Then the British contract contract turns into like a huge mess for Winchester. They're arguing all the time. Um, They're under delivering on the the contract. They're delivering late. Um, And by 1916, they're approaching the end of the contract and they're deciding what they're going to do next. Winchester actually does offer to the British to like, hey, you guys want us to keep building rifles? And the British are like, um, absolutely, 100% no, you guys are terrible. We hate you. Don't talk to us anymore. And that was that's the letter, word for word, from the king. I don't know. The um, king. <laughs> <laughs> and so Winchester is looking at what to do next. This gives Johnson a little bit of breathing room and he starts to renew this project and so he works on the model c a little bit um and it is only he does on the b and the c they do he does like a military stock profile stock and a sporting rifle stock because originally while they had been thinking of marketing these as sporting rifles the war meant that they could also market these potentially market these if they ever got made as military rifles um and then um through further refinement he also invents just a purely military version of the design. Up to that point, it had really been influenced by the 1903. With the Model C, you start to see a little bit of their contract work with the British come into play. Um, And then I think Winchester, realizing that the British are sort of done with them, but other allied governments are calling them, they're thinking there still might be orders out there. So we just want military only. We're not going to build somebody else's design. We're going to use something we've come up with in-house. We're not going to build, you know, 95s for the Russians. We want, we, we just want one universal, simple military rifle. Uh, and so then Johnson turns it into what we call the Model D. And this is the one they make the most of um, during the war. They make 14 or 15, probably. Uh, we have about 13 of them in our collection currently. Um, and they make them in all sorts of calibers. And if you looked at the rifle, you would say this is just a f- weird, a uh, British pattern 14 with a different rear sight because that's it, really looks a lot like it. Um, And Winchester writes up a manual, and like they're the reason when they write the manual, they sort of in the manual, they kind of hint at why they made it because they have all these clues of like, here's a comparison to a Mauser, here's a comparison to a British Enfield, here's you know, and they list like four or five different rifles. And of course, they pick all the features where the D is kind of a better rifle, and so it's supposed to have a stronger action. It's fewer parts than the other guns. And the manual for the rifle is also sort of a sales pitch for these countries that are in the middle of a war and don't have enough rifles. And they chamber it in a bunch of different cartridges. That's why they make so many. So they make a seven millimeter. They make a 303. They make a 7.62 Russian. Uh, they make a 30-06. Uh, so they're making all these cartridges just in case one of these allied governments wants to buy a bunch.
0: This feels like the weirdest like you know how like we go on tangents yeah yeah like this feels like winchester's biggest tangent
1: (laughs) it kind of is actually although they eventually get somewhere with it
0: yeah right (laughs) we don't (laughs) Uh, But it was just like, like as you're like going through all these things, like I'm trying, like simultaneously thinking about the fact that we're like in a war, and like I understand that like that's where you see a lot of like design development because everyone's panicking. But at the same time, this just seems like the weirdest, like, oh no, we'll do it this way, but then we'll do it this way, but then we'll do it this way, and like the rest of the world was like Winchester. I don't know if you got the memo, but we're in war. Yeah. I don't need a slight alteration to your weird niche bold action. You don't even make bold actions. Who yeah, and you? like
1: <laughs> and that's the <a, laughs> the crazy part. Like some of the differences differences in these as are like really like really down in the weeds changes. Like they'll change the shape of the firing pin or like they'll change the location of like the the gas like the emergency gas vent on the bolt handle like it's really niche stuff that you have to be way down on the of firearms to even care about and yeah just it's it's such a side project while they're like bickering with the british over we can't even build enough p14s to to spec
0: and i don't think they were very good either their p14s i remember the from well, a story that will uh, from a narrative we'll talk about in a later episode <laughs>
1: Yeah, there were there were issues with the p14s Winchester maintained that they were really accurate the British identified a bunch of problems so it kind of like it's who you believe if they were good rifles or not um,
0: was the government paying for this like crazy random series of guns
1: as far as I can tell no this was like just Johnson sort of working on his own um I think he had some there was some direction from the higher ups especially by the time the model d rolls around as like hey, we need something that we can make and not argue with all these inspectors about. So it'll be our design. I think that was, so I think it was funded by the company and not outside.
0: So you make it sound like T.C. Johnson was like just going rogue um, doing these things. And so I would like to point out that if that was in fact the case, you are the T.C. Johnson of this podcast
1: i'll take that I, I can live with that i feel like
0: <laughs> you're well, a tangent I, <laughs> you go rogue
1: <laughs> i don't respond to when i was supposed to record this episode it's fine
0: yeah okay so we're at, also i would like to point out that we always talk about all the reasons why winchester went bankrupt but this feels this feels <laughs> like it tracks right like- <laughs> this feels like
1: it tracks and per herb's conspiracy corner so the Model Ds were only ever a prototype, and we can only find record of the that they were prototypes. However, Herb, in his books on the subject, he maintains that Russia actually trialed these guns and bought some. What we do know is that some three of the guns were sent to Russia and brought back. Um, so that's on like there's an envelope that has like some stuff that a guy named Loudon Sack was taking with him to show the Russian <laughs> Artillery Commission. <laughs> I was trying to get through it. I really was. But he goes to Russia via the Pacific and like goes like, I think he takes the, there's some crazy story about him. Like he goes in via Vladivostok and like goes across the, um, the whole of Russia to showcase these rifles. Um, the Russians seem interested and the, like the Russian commission that tests them. But then of course, Russia collapses and is out of the war. So they don't buy any herb says, they actually got their initial order and that they had 500 guns made it. I've never found anything to back that up, but you know, it's the Russian civil war and who's going to keep track of 500 guns during that. So maybe. Uh,
0: What do you think John Moses Browning was thinking during all of this? (laughs) Um, He was hustling. Why is the government
1: making me work with these people to build the B.A.R. again? (laughs) That's what he was thinking. <laughs> There's. St- right. It's been 20 years, and they're still a mess.
0: Okay, so A B C D E E.
1: So <laughs> the, e. the letter
0: E. The letter, Talk to you e. by Edwin Pugsley.
1: <laughs> nice, nice. So the E is their post-war version of this gun. So the war ends with the nothing happening with the Model D's. Nobody buys them. None of the Allied countries. Are interested enough. They test them. I do think actually this is to keep it on the conspiracy theme that everybody says the model 1917 that the U S adopts was developed from the pattern 14. I actually don't think that's true. I think because in the old Winchester inventories guns, we have 13 of the model D's. Like I said, we think they made 15 and there's a note that says number 14 and 15 were actually shown to the U S military commission, deciding what to make for the war. And I think they converted those two to 30-06 and were like, here, we can build this rifle. And I think that's how was part of what led to the Model 1917. So there was like a little intermediary step if you want to be very particular about it. Um, But anyways, the war ends. Winchester builds a lot of Model 1917s for the government. Um, And at the end of the war, there are some within the company, Johnson and a few others that think all these soldiers are coming home. They've just used bolt action rifles. They're going to want a bolt action. There are others in the company that feel very strongly that, nope, we're going back to our roots. Lever actions only. This is a waste of time. But Johnson, and the, he has enough support from the sort of board of directors that they actually do a trial run of the Model E. And the Model E um, is, was intended to be like a very high-end version of this whole series only built in the custom shop made to order, built in like specialty calibers. Um, And so they make some up, they make about 20 or 25 of them up and they give them to the board of directors as like, here, look, these are viable, you know, high-end bolt action rifles. But what happened was, what had happened was um, in the 1918, 1919, while they're doing this, Winchester is still subject to army inspection because they're finishing up the B.A.R. contract. They're also in a big dispute with the government about how much money they're owed for all the canceled contracts. So there's still government army inspectors there, one of whom happened to be a former Remington employer or Remington employee. Excuse me. Um, and the corporate intrigue is that he probably was passing secrets that to Remington that Winchester is working on a bolt action rifle. Remington announces a bolt action, the 20, the model 23 or 24 or something like that. And then the Winchester executives all get cold feet. They were kind of on the fence about it anyway. They're like, Remington beat us to the punch. We're not going to bother. The only problem is Remington didn't actually start making that model. They didn't have one ready. They just announced it in like a bluff to get Winchester to fail on their own and then in the intervening years remington worked on and introduced the model 30 um and then started selling that but the model they actually announced wasn't a production gun it was it didn't exist it was a phantom announcement
0: that's pretty cool solid marketing remington
1: solid solid corporate espionage um
0: so is e we're now at f
1: so we're now at f also by the way for the for the Winchester folks, the, the E is also sometimes called the Imperial and the Model 51. Just an FYI. Uh, so now we're at the F, it's and an so
0: FYI, Win-
1: the FYI, uh, Winchester sees the Model 30 being successful, and they're like, "Well, darn it! Anyways, we should have made a bold action because look how many people are buying Remingtons." I would like to say
0: that I've read some primary source letters of the people of which you're speaking. And I don't think they would say, Oh heck, darn.
1: (laughs) Darn it anyways. Darn Uh, it. (laughs) Oh oh, gosh. Um, (laughs) So they, so they see how well Remington's doing and they are like, well, Hey, we worked on this. Let's bring it back. So um, they bring back um, these prototypes and redesign sort of Revisit the drawing. Because the E was meant to be an expensive gun. It was meant to be a high-end gun. So they take the E and they sort of simplify it a little bit, make it a little bit cheaper to make. And then they introduce that as the Model 54. And the Model F is the prototype for that gun. And the Model 54 becomes fairly successful. Um, There's a few things that could use improving, but it's a successful gun. Winchester sees the potential of bolt-action rifles. Of course, it's a little bit too little too late. Um, By the time they introduce it in the mid-20s, the company is already sort of in that spiral towards bankruptcy in the early 30s. And then when Olin buys him out, and this is right at the end of sort of T.C. Johnson's life because he he dies in the early 30s. um, Poor guy. Yeah, he doesn't even get to see like the final success of this whole endeavor. And it was him and like Frank Burton mostly working on it. And they both died in the 30s. Burton actually sees the introduction of the 70, but um, Johnson dies before it happens. Um, so Olin buys the company out and they realize that there's all these bold action sales, uh, but the Olins want to make some changes to the 54 to make it a little bit more viable to make some improvements to it. And so they go back to, they go actually blend sort of some of the features from the, the earlier series. They kind of skip over the F look back to, Hey, look at that model E that was kind of along the right lines. We want it to be a little bit nicer. We don't want to go all the way down to the, the sort of downgrade to the F. And they've gotten feedback by that point on the Model 7, or the Model 54. And so there's a Model G in the series. It's it's named in the Winchester primary sources. We don't know which gun it is. We don't have that one still. Um, and we don't know which gun it is. If it's one of the prototypes that's just identified as a Model 70 prototype in the collection. If it's a specific gun, if it was just sort of, it's this point in the model series, not really sure. But Winchester then, or Olin, now owning Winchester, Redesigns the 54 into the 70 to reintroduce that gun um, and start making that. And I think it was 36, if I'm getting my dates right. And the Model 70 then, of course, goes to be like one of the great all time American manufactured rifles. But it started way back, you know, over 20 years before in 1912, 1913 with a Model A. And that is the Alphabet or ABC series of Winchesters.
0: Yeah, but they've been limited to G.
1: Yeah. <laughs> But we only it, it's like a partial alphabet.
0: Yeah. Well, Danny, I am really happy that you finally went through that whole thing.
1: Coherently, even.
0: Yeah. Uh, and for anybody who is wondering why I just kept randomly interjecting, Danny requested that.
1: Yes, I did. I, I'm way too boring on my own.
0: <laughs> That's not true. A little. <laughs> well, I think then, are we done?
1: I have nothing more to say about this. I
0: have nothing more to give. (laughs) Camila looks shocked. Danny doesn't have it. But wait, there's more. Uh,
1: I guess there is another FYI. That the Model E is the first rifle chambered in the everybody's favorite cartridge, the 270 Winchester.
0: Well, there you go. Danny's little extra nugget at the end of our episode. We'll talk to you guys next week.
1: See ya.